Building Something Out of Nothing is brought to you by Lift Fund. For over 25 years, Lift Fund has backed entrepreneurs who build something out of nothing by providing responsive insights and small business capital when others aren't able to. If you need help launching your passion into a reality, visit liftfund.com today. Building Something Out of Nothing is brought to you by Geekdom. Geekdom is the largest co-working space in the city with the focus of building downtown San Antonio one startup at a time. Visit geekdom.com today to schedule a free tour. What's up, guys? This is Eddie Laughlin, co-founder of Shotgun House Coffee Roasters, and you're listening to Building Something Out of Nothing, a small business podcast right here in San Antonio. Today's guest is Sarah Sawyer, owner and maker behind Guten Co. Goods in San Antonio. We sit down at the Geekdom Audio Lab and chat about Sarah's education in the arts and starting Guten Co., the processes behind her custom letterpress designs and handmade ceramics, building a steady clientele through word of mouth, landing a profile in Texas Monthly in 2017, and how Sarah built her bootstrap studio into one of the most highly regarded design workshops in Texas. Enjoy. Seems to be okay. Yeah, she's been in a few years. Six yeah, years six, in, years they're in. like, she's never asked for anything. She's been all right. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, I went to a technical school to study imaging science and photography because that was somehow wow. like commercial enough to be. So it was like creative, you know, acceptable. but it was yeah commercial was, enough. Yeah, yeah, that's you could pretty directly, you know, make money off of that or get okay. hired to do that, and that lasted a year, and then. I transferred to another school in Philadelphia, studied. I just kind of inched my way farther and farther and more into the were, arts. And were you like arts. graduating from these technical schools and then like moving no. on to the next thing? Or were you just they like, were I don't. They were four-year schools, so I was transferring. So you were just like, I don't, I don't like this. I want to move. It's not a fit. I'm going to yeah. switch. Yeah. Which, it, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, went to a school in Philadelphia, st- still studied photography and imaging, but it was more like the old style. I was working in dark rooms all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, all these skills have proved extremely helpful, but it still seems kind of far from where I landed, but I was just inching my way towards the right thing. And then that led me into print technology, learning that, and that's what got me into printmaking. So that's where I landed in the fine arts and the letterpress side of my business is, um, the printmaking side. So before you got into the letterpress, which I guess is all, like you said, kind of kind of parallels with each other but it's yeah. you did the printmaking before that yeah yeah interesting yeah well you study it all i mean letterpress is a form i mean there's you know tons of different methods of printmaking in the fine art world definitely but uh the letterpress is just one and that's the one that you can most easily commercialize i mean that's really i'm doing custom printing for people that that side of the business is you know people's marketing materials really beautiful hand business cards i do do special events and things like that but a tiny portion of that is a personal practice of making fine art pieces but really the majority of that is commercial work for people like for people's businesses mm-hmm. and things like that do you mm-hmm. do like wedding yeah stuff i yeah. assume that's part of it yeah yeah so that's that's still you know very much just kind of bread and butter i really thrive off the technicality of that yeah practice i have a very like type a i want things to be it seems like it's very very, yeah it's a very precise it seems like it would be a very frustrating thing to kind of learn how to do because there's no way my brain would allow me to do that well and i love it i just like if things if people are asking for perfection i'm like great i'll (laughs) i'll deliver but both both mediums that I work in really do rely on a lot of, um, you know, 
technology and or, or just technicality and science and i mean especially with the ceramics if you ever get into you know all the firing is extremely precision oriented interesting if you, yeah you know you you want consistent results so you the processes have to be very consistent you have to in terms of like the know. temperature that you're firing stuff at yeah. is that what you mean yeah just the different methods for different glazes like you just have to learn how all of that works to achieve a certain look on certain pieces if you're not just kind of buying off the shelf stuff and hitting it in your kiln at one temperature if you want to get certain results it's just slightly slightly more complicated what's the look that you do i've seen a lot of your stuff has that kind of like speckled yeah design yeah and I, you know i've seen that like if you do like mm-hmm. concrete floors you can get like that speckle in yeah. there like what what is that so concrete like flooring and tiling would be a different completely different um, a different okay. process but the way i do it is i work with liquid clays there is a very simple one um part of coloring and staining clay it's called mason stains and they're powdered stains and it really is typically with ceramics um glazing is not what you see is what you get you'll glaze at a color you know i have a glossy white glaze that before it's fired it's blue Okay. And then you put it in the kiln and it turns glossy white. So it's a very transformative thing. All that, I mean, it's a high heat. It's 2000 degrees. So it's okay. changing colors That's crazy. a lot of the time. It's very rarely, you know, looks like the finished product when you see it. But with the speckling that I do, that's just staining white porcelain clay right. that's slaked down into its liquid form. It's called okay. slip. It's like the consistency of heavy cream. Mm-hmm. You can stain it and really do it a bit more by eye. Interesting. And then um, I just, you know, flick it onto the piece with a brush or a tool. So you just, you and, literally, you're manually mm-hmm. kind of flecking it on there. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are a few processes that I use molds for that I'll, you know, speckle the mold and then pour another color on top. And that gives you a really nice flush That's edge. Awesome. So there's a lot of really cool things that you can do not with solid clay form or or like throwing clay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You can use liquid clays to create a lot of interesting patterns and interesting cast pieces. So, so it's very yeah. technical. Oh, art. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which That's I cool. like. I mean, there's so much room. And the thing I enjoy is once you – I mean, the the new new techniques that you bring into your repertoire really do kind of inform – new designs like if you don't you know i started working with liquid clays and thought oh that you know liquid is going to create different patterns and shapes than solid forms would and then that renders a different design look yeah so it's cool it's kind of like the the method informs the design a lot of the time and when a company contacts you and they want you know cafe wares or they want whatever Mm -hmm. it is with the pottery do they generally seem to understand kind of what you do and like your art, your process in creating these things? Or do you kind of, do you work with them and finding like what they want? Do they generally have an idea or yeah. do they just trust you and say, Hey, we love the stuff you do. Just make us something. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly, mostly the latter. Uh, people typically, if they have an idea in their head, mm-hmm. a lot of times with, you know, pure custom like that, it's very hard. I think what I've gleaned talking to other ceramic artists is you kind of have your wheelhouse of clays that you use in your studio that translates to certain firing methods. You have certain glazes that you use. You have certain, you know, decor methods that are going to be right right in within your strengths. So if somebody were to say, I really want and, you know, a cherry red you know, set of bowls sure. for my cafe. I don't have any cherry red glaze in my yeah. studio. You know, it's it would take me developing a new glaze or going out there and like testing a bunch of 
commercial glazes to figure out. So I've really had good success kind of steering people and saying, here's the options within my wheelhouse where exactly. the pieces are going to turn yeah. out great for you and I, I can vouch for them. I have consistency them. with these. I right. know you're going to love this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, most of the time they're, they're contacting me because they've seen previous work. They're coming they to you like. for, for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we amend it. I mean, a lot of times, especially for bars and restaurants and cafes, I want to make sure it's hearty. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that I do that are more delicate. See, and that's so another, I'll, that was probably a learning process, knowing yes. that it's going to be, because a lot of the things you create would be rarely touched in right. someone's home, maybe, right. or in someone like a studio. Yeah, or but just then, used once a day and hand washed and put it, on a Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like a cup just at a house, mm-hmm. like I drink water out mm-hmm. of, but like at a cafe, um, oh, yeah. like I was telling you, I had contacted you mm-hmm. for our coffee shops probably two and a half years ago yeah. to potentially make stuff for our warehouse five cafe mm-hmm. that didn't end up working out because we were on a super shoestring budget. Yeah. So we just had to get yeah. like some Walmart stuff, but, yeah. um, but yeah, like creating things for cafes, mm-hmm. you have to learn how to maybe potentially make it more durable. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and you don't want to have to, you know, train everybody that's going to touch it right. to, to show them how to not break it when that is I, true. you know if, even commercial washers like talking about what like how hot is the water going to get in your commercial washer and let's make sure that these pieces aren't going to crack was that a learning process for you too well or did you I already kind of know that from, stuff yeah just from use like my entire house is full of the seconds that i've made so i know what things are going to stress them or you know i've been using them for 10 plus years so i know what's gonna extend the life of pieces and there's just you know there's pretty common knowledge with glass and ceramic you know you don't shock the temperature from hot to cold you don't you know there are just certain things that are going to stress it and shorten its life mm-hmm. and so yeah especially just you know with handle forms anything that's like sticking out of a cup that's true that could get knocked that's gonna or, break. yeah, yeah. you just stress fracture, you want yeah. hearty handles you want usually with commercial operations i'll suggest no handles at all well almost. or yeah a hearty handle that's you know comfortable in the hand but isn't gonna yeah knock on stuff i usually suggest more in the family of glossier glazes because it's so much easier to clean right right it's not getting caught on that's, that's know, a really good point yeah it's not gonna stain things like that we're just getting used so frequently you want to just smooth away so that everybody's happy with it and yeah, so far the survival rate is good. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, as you're, you mentioned, you have like a lot of pieces that you made in the past that are at your house. Is your whole yeah. house just covered in? Do you only yeah. use your product essentially? Well, yeah, I mean to a certain degree. That's cool. Like I have. That's always like the nice byproduct of owning yes. a small business like that. It's yeah. like you either drink good coffee if you own a coffee shop, mm-hmm. or like you know if you own mm-hmm. your Wallflower Caramel Company, they probably have caramels yeah. at their house all day long. Yeah, you have really great. Uh, yeah good ceramics yeah Yeah. and there i mean there are special sets that i have from like travels and stuff that i've brought home from other artists that i really love but yeah it's a good it's a good collection i mean they're all wonky and like i bring home the ones where it's like perfectly functional but right like can't sell that's one thing that's what i mean i have yeah. a lot of seconds because i sell you know 99.9 percent of what i sell is online so right. people see a picture and expect exactly that and if it you know varies at all i don't I don't want anybody to ever be disappointed by a little bubble in the glaze or something like that. So, so if it's anything like that, you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, you know what? I'll take this one home. Yeah, I can yeah. always use it for myself. Or yeah, sell it in person. Like I, you know, give a discount. People will come. Yeah, in. yeah. yeah okay. stuff like cool. that. Just to um, move it. All right, cool. Let's uh back back because I know you and I were talking <laughs> yeah. before we even started. So you're from Fredericksburg, yeah. uh, originally, and sixth generation Texan. Mm-hmm. How long has your family been in the Fredericksburg area? Well, yeah. Um, my ancestors were one of the settling families. It, I mean, to That's me, really people, yeah, it, yeah. In adulthood, I've realized 
it is special. I mean, it's just it really it is. was just how I was raised. I, people pay attention to it, but but the way people react is, to it, you can yeah, tell like, oh, like yeah, oh yeah, this yeah, is that cool. is interesting. I am an interesting but, person. I don't yeah, realize yeah. It. yeah, yeah. But yeah, sixth generation German Texan. I mean, my ninety eight year old grandmother still lives there. My parents still live there, and That's we awesome. have very deep roots there. Um, I grew up hearing German in the home. That was my dad's first language. So it's okay. a very interesting little microcosm culture that honestly is kind of going away. Yeah. Um, those generations are kind of fleeting. But yeah, raised raised in a small town. It feels very different now. It's just pretty much an agricultural community than yeah. blue collar, like hardworking salt of the earth people. Definitely. That, you know, had careers but had you know, everybody had land and everybody was doing something with that. And Well, you grew up on a little piece of land outside of mm-hmm. town, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I don't know when Fredericksburg started booming. I was telling you my parents owned several pieces of property up there, little motels mm-hmm. and bed and breakfast and things like that. Yeah. And we started going there consistently. I think they bought the Econo Lodge there like 92, 93. Yeah. I don't know when Fredericksburg really started going, really started booming. I would say, so I graduated high school in 2009, okay. and there were glimmers of this wine industry pouring yeah. in. So, I mean, it's been just a little over 10 years, I would say. That's where it, really getting going. Where it's booming. really been different. That's interesting. It was wild the other week uh, reading that. Did you read that Texas Monthly article about comparing Fredericksburg to Aspen? It's so interesting. No, I did not. But that the, the comparison tagline makes, is like Fredericksburg, the new Aspen. Yeah. Well, I've heard the new Napa. Yeah. I've heard things like that, but yeah. I've never heard the new Aspen. But actually, those mm-hmm. two economies make a lot of mm-hmm. sense to me. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, I think I was raised there in a time that, you know, the gap was really closing. I mean, I have friends that are in their late 20s or early 30s and starting families or starting, you know, their adult life. And, you know, moved into the area and would love to live there if they like kind of more of a rural environment. And they can't. I mean, there's no housing for people. It's well, I mean, it's kind of crazy. My, my, my Like I said, my parents own property out mm-hmm. there and they were telling me, <coughs> first of all, it's fine. It's hard to find good employees for anything because yes. the cost of living is so high. Well, so people they have are to driving live, in from Austin. They have to live care. out in Kerrville, Kerrville and things like that. Right. Um, but in addition to that, like you were saying, everybody kind of wants to live on the outskirts of town, mm-hmm. but everybody you talk to wants to be 10 to 15 minutes from Fredericksburg, right. have about five acres, 10 right. acres, something. Everybody wants the exact same yes. thing, and it's almost impossible to find nowadays, yes. yeah. uh, especially like you said, with that boom in the last yeah. 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, so so you, you grew up there. You weren't really into the arts uh, well, growing I up? Well, I was. You okay. know, I, I, I mean, I can remember at a very young age when they did the quintessential, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always said artist and I would like practice at home. My parents were very traditional. Uh I went to like college prep school all the way through and it did not have a strong art program at all. So it just wasn't fostered. Yeah. Um, I mean, I begged for, you know, lessons and would, you know, here and there take little drawing classes and things on the side after school or whatever, but it just wasn't terribly fostered. I knew I wanted to pursue it but always kind of thought i needed to find the amended version that would work like graphic find that hybrid yeah you know photography or something that was a bit more traditional and just led to a more linear career track uh at that point it just didn't really feel i mean to me it was like a hobby that i needed to you know, an interest because that that's I how it was treated. Turn, it right. was treated as a hobby. Well, yeah, just in in my family and in that in the culture I was raised mine, mine too, in, yeah. you do a career track job like yeah, you know, lawyer, you'll be a doctor, lawyer, teacher, you'll be a doctor, military, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's great. I mean, that's 
that's successful. I have tons of siblings and they all have successful careers and those types of things. And, um, so yeah, it was a, it was a tricky thing to even picture a future like that, but I got there. (laughs) And that's why you kind of started off with the technical school and stuff like that out of high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and you said you hopped around, you were in Philadelphia, you're in New York, you're in all sorts of places. Yeah. Um, just trying to find the right fit type thing. Right. Yeah. And I think, well, it was, it was me just kind of breaking out of that like high performing, uh, mentality and opening myself up to, you know, taking some risks. I was a bit, so you were just figuring it out. Yeah. Like, no, 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 I can't. I can't try something that's uncharted, you know? So working my way out of that, that the jumping around and transferring to tons of schools, that was just me thinking like, okay, this isn't a fit. Let's try this. Okay. This isn't a fit. Let's try this. But the way that turned out is I have an incredible tool belt of really varied skills that have all, I mean, truly, if I take inventory, I don't think any of them are wasted. Did you use them on a daily week? Oh, daily and weekly de- basis. completely. I, mm-hmm. Any job I've had in the past too, I think about that. Like yeah. I use skills that I learned from those jobs, mm-hmm. even though I didn't like those jobs necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I learned skills that I can use today in my current work. Yeah. Um, when you, when you were in like Philly or New York or outside of Texas, essentially, did you mm-hmm. always know you want to come back to Texas or were you kind of like, no. you know what? I kind of, I'm kind of <laughs> digging this. Yeah. 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 No, I, I loved it there and I would move back. I mean, I went to college when I was 16, and so I was very young, and there was some, I remember kind of having that feeling where you could zoom out on your life and think, I love these cities, I love these places, I love these people, Mm -hmm. and I feel too young for it all. Like, I felt separated. I'm not ready for it, but I love it. I couldn't go, I mean... You can't go out to a happy hour and meet people. I would be on public transit and think like, oh, I'm sitting next to 10 people that look really interesting and could be good friends. And I have no idea how to connect. You were literally too young. Yeah. 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 Nothing you could do about Mm -hmm. it. You just weren't there yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And that's where, you know, I probably should have taken a gap year or something like that. But, you know, should have, whatever. But yeah, I loved those cities. And there were some like circumstances that brought me home and... You know, you can't change stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. But I certainly, you know, don't think I'll be in Texas my whole life. I mean, I very often am pulled to other places and would love to. I think about that often, too. Mm -hmm. Love Texas. I think it's great. But I certainly want to live outside of Texas for a full range of, like, seasons elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Just just do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because I don't like Texas. I love it here. Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, the life I have here is so sweet and... Mm -hmm. I'm not in a rush, but I do think, yeah, just different, you know, social, political climates sound amazing. It does, You know, getting to rub elbows with different types of people and, um, yeah, I see that. Maybe getting out of the oppressive heat every once in a while, which is about to be coming up. Those cedar allergies. That's (laughs) cool. Run away from the cedar. So you got back to Fredericksburg Mm -hmm. and then you kind of started... Guten Co. is when all that kind of started to happen back in 2014. Yeah. So when I moved back to Texas, I ended up um, getting connected with the chair of the art department at Trinity. Okay. And he really smoothed my way and gave me a great experience, gave me a lot of flexibility, saw my potential, which I'm so grateful that he kind of helped me with all of that and helped me pull. I mean, I was pretty lost when it came to education and how I'm going to wrap it up. I mean, I had all these credits from different places and you need to focus on something. Yeah. Yeah. And basically the offer from him was, you know, we have a beautiful art building. Um, Trinity is, you know, 
it has an amazing facility and amazing instructors. I don't know if people give it enough credit. I mean, it's a small liberal arts college, but really what I needed was space and flexibility to find, you know, some, some vision for Mm -hmm. what I needed to do. And I had so many credits that it was almost like I needed to fill out the elective part of my degree. So he, you know, smoothed my way. I ended up getting a printmaking degree through him. Cool. Um, had these amazing studios. I was able to do printmaking and ceramics, the two things that I'm still doing now. Okay. Pretty much 50-50 and practiced them both and really enjoyed them both. They're, you know, there's a common ground between the two, but a lot's different. So that's so how you kind of started between. doing both professionally mm-hmm. is that you just loved both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, those were the two mediums I was concentrated on for those two years. And... So yeah, got the degree wrapped up, which really, I mean, my, in my field wasn't required, but for me, I'm proud that I, you know, got that. It was good, yeah. good to wrap it up. It yeah, kind of felt cool. like it was wasted energy if I didn't wrap sure. it up. And the connections there were very helpful with getting introduced to the San Antonio art community. I mean, the best, one of the best ways to get connected is to get connected with the educators in your field. That's interesting, which a lot of people might not realize is that, mm-hmm. especially like in those creative fields mm-hmm. it's it's nice to be connected with the community a little bit yeah um, oh imperative. And it, can be, it can be it's imperative and it yeah. can be very difficult to yes uh to get those connections mm-hmm. if you don't you know kind of have an end like mm-hmm. that so that's those well big. and they become your mentors and they become the people that tell you when your ideas suck or if they look awesome or yeah. when your you know your technique is off i mean all of that um this uh one professor was very hard on on all the students in the best way to make sure that your techniques were excellent and that your quality level was, you know, off the charts good. You could stand behind it. So that was excellent. But then, yeah, I've graduated in the last couple of months of my senior year. I started Guten Co and like branded it and decided. So you knew that's what you you wanted it to do. Yeah. I was watching my fellows. So this was 2013. I was watching my fellow classmates uh, that were in the arts mm-hmm. struggle to find jobs in the arts. Yeah. I mean, where are you going to go? I'll, several of them are yeah. excellent graphic designers. Um, most of them went into different fields, and I didn't want to do that. I just was. It just seems excited. like a, such a bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a few of them. I mean, right after undergrad, a handful of your classmates go to grad school, and I thought I I decided I'd give myself a two year window. There you go. And not beat myself up if it failed, because a lot of people go to grad school and. It doesn't Nothing perfectly launch yeah. their life. Yeah. So I decided I'd try it. Okay. And that was really one of the bigger, you know, leaps of faith because it just, I had no idea if people was, would be interested in the things I was making. There was no like momentum. There was no reason mm-hmm. to think that it was going to succeed. You just right. kind of just like, this is what I, I'm going to try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and really, uh, yeah, that last senior year, I was producing goods already almost with, I mean, okay. it was within the fine arts department but i was the work i was making it looked like commercial work like i was making addition like big sets of yeah of porcelain pieces or i was doing it wasn't like big one-off elaborate pieces so it was people were people's interest was peaked it was stuff you could sell yeah yeah so i saw that there was an interest and i think uh, it's booming now, but at that point i wasn't seeing high design and ceramics be terribly prevalent right um so i was excited about bringing that to it and thought that there would be a market for it okay cool yeah um 
once you decided, were you, were you selling things already a little bit? Um, how'd you kind of get those there. first? Was it just kind of like word of mouth? Yeah. And what did you, did you need to buy equipment? You know, was this something yeah. you could easily kind of self fund by yourself without yeah. a ton of overhead? Yeah. Um, it was super bootstrapped. I mean, okay. that was the other part of taking the risk was, I mean, me and my type A brain, I like wrote how much it would cost. You to want to have it figured it out. Yeah. It, it wasn't a crazy number. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think I spent like 4,000 bucks or something. Like what cost? Is everything. it like the letterpress? Is it the, the press? Yeah. Is a big piece of equipment and those aren't expensive, but they're hard to transport. They can be kind of hard to find. And then you have to put a lot of time into refurbishing them. And the one you it, got was like raw, rustic. Yeah. Yeah. You had yeah. to completely refurbish it. I've been through it. several now, but okay. it's, um, it, yeah, they're they're rarely found like ready to ready right. to roll. They're old. Oh yeah, Naturally, and they've yeah. typically been in someone's shed for forty years, and they're about <laughs> to go to the dump. And you're like, wow. wait, <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. Um. So there's yeah, there's a lot of time involved with that. The other equipment things are you know you have to buy a kiln, you have to buy a wheel for ceramics for mm-hmm. throwing. Um. The rest is pretty much materials based, and you kind of buy as you need. So. Yeah, there there are a few big bigger ticket items, but you can also like with ceramics, I guess with letterpress too, um, cer- ceramics more so. There are people that get into it quickly and you know have the liquid cash to dump a lot of money into right. getting the the equipment that they need, and then they realize four years later that they haven't used it enough and they want to ditch it. They want a clear space in their garage. Okay, so all the time. I mean, I've never bought a piece of new equipment for ceramics so there's always something available used. that or like schools are getting rid of their wheels or their how do you find kit. that stuff well there's like facebook marketplace and craigslist so and stuff like, like yeah just like i would find stuff. anything okay yeah yeah Interesting. you can typically i mean if you're willing to drive like i mean i've driven to oklahoma for equipment i've gone to like Do you have a truck uh you yeah bar- borrowed one borrow yeah, trucks, trailer yeah yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. so yeah you just gotta hunt and peck i mean it it's not expensive but it is you know, costly with time to get these. Get, Do you get kind of refurbish those things yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I've helped several people. I've refurbished a press for the Southwest School of Art. That's part of, part of the education with printmaking is how to maintain and refurbish equipment. So okay. taking these machines apart. So it's important to learn, you know, Absolutely, know all those things. Yes. I mean, it's your tool. Like you. It's critical to the business and yes. maintaining it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. And you do your branding yourself, you know, you're mm-hmm. a designer. I'm assuming I you did, did most yeah. of that stuff yourself. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The graphic design and the print and the photography background all smoothed the way when it came to, you know, marketing materials and creating line sheets and being able to um, bootstrap my own, you know, photography for the website and all of those things were things I, I was able to do on my own and, and not have to pay for, which also kept it, you know, within reason okay, cost cool. wise, which was great. I mean, and where were you working out of? Did you have a studio already? Mm-hmm. Um, was it where you were living at the same time? Like yeah. how, where, where were you developing all these things? I had two different studios during that time. I had okay. one that was kind of a bigger industrial rougher space. And then I moved into a house that had, you know, an outbuilding that I finished out and like drywalled and put windows in and, and made into a little shop. And that was for a short time. And then I moved to San Antonio. Were you teaching at the Southwest School of Art as well mm-hmm. at the time? So at some point that started happening and you were kind of doing both? 
Yeah. Okay. So Southwest School of Art's great. They're very practical about scheduling when it comes to when are people going to be available to come to classes. That's so cool. it's designed for, I mean, they're adult classes, so it's designed for the working person. So Definitely. most of the classes are in the evening. Okay. So, I mean, I ran a full-time business and then taught at night. Okay, which cool. Which was intense. <laughs> well, it sounded incredibly stressful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that lasted less than two years and it was great. I was teaching letterpress. Um, but I mean, I have to be honest, I just don't have the chops for teaching. Like, oh, it really? is so hard. What's so hard about it? Well, just the like micro communications and understanding that everybody so the, is going to have. So like, dealing with people. The well, people yeah. And, and, and interestingly, like I had the most, you know, golden group of people they're adults yeah, yeah they volunteered to be in the room they want to be there they've paid yeah. money to be there they have like skin in the game they've you know there's something on that they've invested to be there so sure. it's like the most willing people and it was never like bad attitudes or things like that they right. were all great but at the end of it i mean <clears> they were they're three hour classes and so you get there an hour early and you leave about an hour late after like cleaning and stuff like that okay. so it's a five hour night yeah. and it's intense yeah and printmaking is physical like you're running a press so you're you know it's just it's not like sitting and drawing or something like that i mean there are a lot of arts that are physical but you're just tired and people all need something different from you i think was the challenge for me is i was just they're all struggling with like different aspects of it yes and people moving at different paces Uh where like the advanced people are super bored because you're having to like drag and help the other person that's having a hard time so it's getting, kind of like a one size fits all class and, so everybody's yes, in there at different skill levels yes, yeah yeah and these were even like pretty small classes like less than 12 people so okay it was just a super super big challenge and i decided in the end like mad respect to all teachers but not for me <laughs> Well, and like teachers doing that and then also pursuing mm-hmm. something else on the side, yes. which is a lot of teachers that, ha- yeah, it has to be, Yeah, you were probably working 50, 60 hour weeks sure, just to yeah. get all this stuff done. So For you did sure. that about two years and then you mm-hmm. hung your teaching hat mm-hmm. up and said, I'm done with that. I'm going to focus yeah. on Gutenkult full time. Yeah. And it was growing. I mean, it's grown every year. Yeah. And so it just, yeah, I got too intense and I was realizing I just was way more excited about my own practice and, and producing these goods in my own studio talk about some of that early growth you know a lot of people start something and some people see just rapid growth you Mm -hmm. know that first year just boom some but most businesses it's kind of a steady yeah kind of a slow burn climb Mm -hmm. um but it looks like you were seeing some pretty yeah pretty steady growth what 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 was that looking like to you was it more on the pottery side was it more on the letterpress side was it a combination of things was it uh were you just doing everything by yourself at that time did you have an assistant yeah how was all that working and what were some of the the moments where you were like you know what i think you know i got a big order or i got Mm -hmm. you know i saw you got the texas monthly article or like Mm -hmm. things like that when did you finally start to think like i think this is starting to take off a little bit so i started the business with both mediums assuming that one or the other would become more healthy and the other would drop away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I figured maybe within a year I'd have a clear idea of like, yeah. oh, okay, this one will become true side gig. The other one will be Guten Co. Mm-hmm. And it never happened. They both grew super that's so crazy. rapidly and yeah. health, healthfully. Well, I shouldn't say rapid. I don't think that's a good um, characterization. It was super steady. Mm-hmm. I was able to grow, you know, a wholesale business with the ceramics. Now they're in, you know, 55 or like almost 60 stores nationwide. And that wow. creates a super healthy oh, production yeah. flow through the studio all the time. So I can always count on that. And the letterpress, that's really local business mostly. Mm-hmm. 
And by the time I moved to San Antonio, you kind of corner the market when you have something, a really specific practice like yeah. that. So anybody that needs it is coming to you. And I have some really amazing advocates in the paper world and in the print world that have really vouched for my quality. And that's and all cost. word of mouth business, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So both have really taken off and steadily grown. Although, I mean, it took in my third year was finally when I stopped having to worry about like night gigs, weekend gigs. So this is not okay. some like overnight success situation. Like right. I was, I was doing other work to close the gap. Okay. Just because you, especially in those years too, you haven't quite figured out your profit margins or your pricing and like yeah, You don't things. even know how much business you need to be doing. Right. And yeah. And you have a hard time tracking your costs. Yes. Yeah. So as you iron all that out, there's just at the end of the month, you're like, oh yeah, I need to... <laughs> But again, it was still, it sounds like it was relatively low overhead. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you could just Super take low. jobs on you. Did you ever have to turn jobs down? Were you at that point where you no, could only do so I'm, much, obviously, as a one man band? Well, I've always figured out a way. I'm kind of crazy. So you just though. say yes. I mean, I say yes yeah, to everything. We'll just do it. Yeah. I mean, if it's a fit for me. Sure. If it's sure. not a fit, I say no, thank you. And I try my best to send them to the right person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've gotten better about, you know, maintaining what's a fit for me because I have said yes to things that aren't a fit and my God, you're spending, you know, a hundred hours on something and getting paid for 20, you know, that so you type lear- of you learn from those oh, sure. experiences. Yeah. 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 You got to figure out what your wheelhouse is and stick to it. But, um, yeah. So it, yeah, it's just, it's gotta be the, the fit. And where you grow. So you said you started growing like the wholesale on the ceramics side. Mm-hmm. Um, now that you said grown to about 40 to 50 different nationwide wholesalers. Yeah. Um, and then you have the online side mm-hmm. and you said you do a lot of sales through online. Were you growing that through that period too, or was that kind of later on? They kind of, well, er, early on, it was only the web shop Okay, and that's always great. It feels great because you're getting the retail price for your piece. Right. So of course that's nice, but the volume is where I, I could not subsist off of just the web shop as it is, um, it's just, you know, two pieces here, five pieces there. Exactly. You know, it's so small. It wouldn't be enough. You'd be just be yes. waiting on them to come in. Yeah. And you'd be frustrated and depressed. Right. Yeah. Well, and all the time, also the extraneous time that it takes to like packing an order for one cup or like packing, you know, three pieces for somebody. And, you know, all of that takes more time. There's so much efficiency that I right. love with wholesale where right. I can say, okay, I know I need to buy you know, 60 gallons of X, Y, or Z, you know, additive for my glaze recipe. Mm -hmm. I can get the clay at a lower price. I can like really optimize costs and get all of these materials in bulk because I know I'm tearing through them so quickly. Uh I just have, you know, more ability to, you know, plan a production schedule really. Yeah. And to know exactly what's going to, you know, meet the demand on the retail side, like having of you know a healthy little flow of retail sales from my web shop or from my studio but then i mean the backbone the bread and butter is is wholesale because it's you know several hundred pieces a month that are going out to shops that you pack well in one big box and you ship it and they worry about sales which is a huge benefit that's a whole other aspect you sell it all mm -hmm. in bulk and then they have to Mm -hmm. they deal with that part yeah and when they reorder they reorder and you can do it again yes 
Yeah. Interesting. How do you yeah. manage all this uh, in terms of like scheduling? <laughs> because if you're dealing with wholesale, you're dealing uh-huh. with online sales, and then you're dealing, dealing with letterpress. Mm-hmm. Um, two different businesses, really. Two. Yeah, it's completely separate, yes. which is also interesting because uh, I was talking to, it makes it sound fun. Like I was talking to Tony Perez of mm. Ramona Press in Austin. Yeah. And I asked him, you know, what's a typical, like he had come and painted a sign for us and he painted something on the wall for us another time. Cool. He does his own printmaking with shirts and all that stuff, yeah. he, you know, all sorts of different projects that he does. It's not just one thing. Mm-hmm. And so no day looks the same. And it seems like with you, you know, yeah. you might be doing a whole bunch of pottery one day or a whole mm-hmm. bunch of cer- ceramics one day and then have a letter, big letterpress job yes. uh, the next day. So you're doing very different things uh-huh. on different days. And within is- a day, I'll do both. Yeah. Most, most times. But that's fascinating. Like you have to mm-hmm. also be able to, with that, that might be fun and mm-hmm. it might be, uh, makes it to where it never gets, never gets old and you're not going to burn out. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you have to be able to maintain all that on, on a oh, schedule sure. and yeah, make sure a... that you're not losing yeah. control of it in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you just use you like your iPhone and Google have, Calendar and you know, all that stuff? It's weird. I'm very analog. Something about, I have to, I have like a very big physical production schedule you do on in paper yeah and it's very detailed i mean day you know hour hour by hour appointments and you know deadlines and a lot of especially with ceramics it's a longer process you know with production and then drying times and then you fire it once and it has to cool for a whole day and then you glaze it and you fire it again and has to cool so it's a long process and you really have to think about okay here's the deadline but back it way up like this is when the right. process has to begin for that to even exactly be close to hitting on the mark so i have a very detailed production schedule but it's very alive it's, i mean it's all in pencil because wow. things shift all the time like if somebody wants to come to the studio then great like pencil it in shift this up over you know to the day before day after like if things come up it's also i'm really super lucky and grateful but every day there's an inbox full of requests and so things really? shift and you have to jam things in and see what people are willing to wait for if there's no room or everything. So it's very alive. It's detailed, but shifting all the time. That's cool. You have most people contacting you like through the website or Instagram. Like how do people contact you to Both. get work? Yeah. I mean, social media, I truly would not have a thriving business without Oh yeah. Instagram is huge. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. like everybody I've talked portfolio. to. I mean, yeah. it's, it's free. It, is yeah no overhead to maintain people get a snapshot of your look and your quality and in my case i've spent a lot of time i'm not consistent enough with it but i've spent tons of time being very very specific about how those first you know nine boxes on instagram look so that people know in an instant yeah that oh that's what i want for whatever product they're looking for. So you'll have so some the, of the letterpress stuff on there. You'll have, mm-hmm. and then the different variations of the ceramics mm-hmm. that you do so they can see, yeah. okay, this is, she does all sorts of stuff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And they come to me for either that specific look or aesthetic or feel, you know, I get a lot of that. Of like, we love what you're doing with X, Y, or Z. Here's our project. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you get, is it more people that have unique specific projects like that that want to commission you for something or is it someone that's just like hey i like that piece and you can just kick them over to the website well for ceramics like i said i don't do a lot of unless i'm working with like a hotel or a you know coffee shop or restaurant i'm not working on a lot of custom stuff so yeah in that case some people will ask for like oh i love that cup or i love that pair of earrings can you make me some in black or can you make me some in blue or white or whatever um, I'll sometimes field that it's pretty case by case, like even seasonally, if I have the bandwidth for it, like maybe the answer will be yes. But the custom stuff, when people are asking that's print, 
print okay. work. That's mm-hmm. all print work. It's okay. all custom work for people. That's really interesting. And mm-hmm. that, well, that's why people come to you because mm-hmm. they don't just want to get something that they could get yeah. of a mass produced thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, do you have any kind of like fun favorite projects that you've done with different clients in the past? I know we had talked about outside that you would, did all the cafe wares for the new Lola coffee. Yeah. Uh, Travis park. Yeah. In, in, like right there right right down here, the street. Yeah. Um, and so you've been doing more stuff like that on the ceramic mm-hmm. side for cafes and bars yeah. and stuff like that. Do yeah. you have any fun projects yeah, you've done with that? And fantastic. then on the letterpress side as well. Yeah. That one was fantastic. Ian is great over at Lola. Um, he had a great vision for that. I just finished stocking uh, hotel Havana with their new bar wear, awesome. which is a real get. I remember years ago thinking if I could just get a monk house and like, yeah, that's an exciting thing. It that's really, awesome. um, that has led to some great new work just from the clout of that hotel chain, definitely, um, which is exciting. And then letterpress wise, you know, I always love taking someone's branding and seeing it elevated and beautiful print. There is something transformational about that. And when yeah. I can work with small businesses that I can see because I was I'm there I'm there and I have been there for years that Mm -hmm. it's an investment and it's almost kind of like ooh, ouch like let's let's invest in this nice print because anybody can you know you can go to Kinko's and achieve what you're trying to achieve but I can see that they're trying to invest in a quality communication about their business and their brand by coming to me and then the exciting thing is hearing you know, a lot of times a couple months later, if I run into them or I hear them or hear from them, right, they're getting they tons say, of compliments. Here's, yeah. well, and here's the impact it made on my business. Yeah. Like my numbers are better. Yeah. That's what I'm about. Like, that's what I'm in the business of doing. I mean, yeah. the like people complimenting beautiful print is one thing, but for me, all of the things that I make, there's a utility to them. Like yeah. I, I love making functional pieces in ceramic. And for me, I love the print side because to me it's utilitarian also it has a purpose it's gonna send a communication to somebody that's what print is for and with all the aesthetics and all of the like detailed decisions that I can make to make it super beautiful in the ways that I can counsel them on like this is the type of paper we should use Mm -hmm. this is the thickness this is going to create this type of effect with your brand that brand mark that you have already that's going to create a different function than yeah. the kinko's piece you know That's i mean no hate but <laughs> no, when it comes but, to that um, investment yeah. it really does churn out a different a different result in the end and to hear about that oh man that just makes my day when i hear that it's made their business uh, operate better and made their bottom line top, better top That's line really, sales are up because yeah. of the yeah the branding yeah. job that you've done for their and company. i think in the arts people imagine that I don't only work with artists, but people imagine that, you know, if you talk about the bottom line and you talk about like margins and profits, it cheapens it. And I just, I could not disagree with that more. I want to see people go home with the money they need to make a living off our idea. Yeah. Well, that's the whole point, right? yeah. 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 So if I can help with that and boost that and, you know, help their brand awareness and brand perception elevate hell yeah well i think more and more brands too i mean you can like you said you can get the kinkos thing you can get the Mm -hmm. mass-produced thing um and probably for a long time that's all anybody was doing but now you're seeing more and more of this almost like bespoke um design and branding Mm -hmm. and details are incredibly important Mm -hmm. and that's what the consumer pays attention to as Mm -hmm. well um it's kind of like what you're going back to and um so yeah you're probably just getting more and more people that really are not just paying attention to the product that they're offering but also Mm -hmm. just the the 
the brand surrounding that product. And the packaging. The I mean, I work pa- with people oh, packaging, packaging is huge. All the time. Oh my gosh. Well, that's why I kind of was curious. This is not a question I wrote, but I was just thinking about it myself. Yeah. Um, I interviewed like Alexander Hilmi, for mm-hmm. for instance. Yeah, um, great. And work with him often. so he, yeah. So I was wondering, like, does somebody maybe hire a Hilmi, and then Hilmi comes to you, and they say, you know, we need a letterpress, or sure. maybe not them in particular, but other yeah. other companies like Hilmi. I mean, yeah. There's a big strata of you know uh, production type companies or like branding agencies, right? You know, Giles, and so they'll reach out places. to you that are great through I mean working with them frequently because That's yeah awesome. they have clients pouring in and they're the ones establishing branding I also work with plenty of people directly that already have their branding and they have the idea and we're the ones putting it together you know okay. I'm I do do a lot of design work for people too like oh this is the packaging piece you need here's your branding okay here's the mock-up of how it will work out packaging is something I'm very fascinated mm-hmm. by because oh, it's complicated it's, it's complicated <laughs> uh-huh. right and when you try to do it yourself, you know, I do a little bit of graphic design. Yeah. So there's things we tried to do mm-hmm. uh, in-house. And once you kind of really get into the minutia of it, and it's like, my goodness, oh my gosh, you, you almost need to hire somebody so to just much time on it. Yeah. deal with it and talk with the company that's printing the thing. So oh my it can gosh, yeah. just find the dimensions about- <laughs> and all everything about it. It's just like so complicated. Yeah. yeah. So whenever I see good packaging, I'm always very you impressed. You appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah same. Um, how'd you get the Texas Monthly article in 2017? How did, how did you they, land that? Did they just come they to you? They reached out. Yeah. 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 That's cool. It was, yeah, it was great. I, um, I think, I mean, I have some theories on like personal connection, the, you know, friends of friends of friends that would have made, you know, the editor there aware of my brand, but sure. they have done such an amazing job fostering, uh, you know, s- smaller businesses yeah. in the area that they felt still carried the through line of quality and quality of story too uh, that they're interested in i mean magazines are always looking for great content and so i appreciate that i mean i've had some good features and i think that's a good tip with marketing wise like i don't know that it's necessary to pay for magazine coverage because they need you as content that yeah you can so, need to look at it that way look mm-hmm. at it from their perspective right they, they need they're you. always yeah especially <laughs> they're excited yeah, about you. a magazine that's churning something over monthly mm-hmm. they, they need mm-hmm. new content absolutely um, yeah and you might be a great fit yeah yeah so it was excellent it was an honor and it did change the scope for sure i mean i from a business gathered, standpoint mm-hmm. you saw a surge the impact yes really? and it was sustained like i i think my I mean, there are always one-off people that will buy, you know, one thing and I don't hear from them again. That's great. But um, I have a consistent following of people that have bought from me for six plus years. Right. And I watched since 2017, since that, that, you know, consistent following that comes back around and around and around. It scaled way up. And people that mention the, the article. Yeah. And things like that. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. Well, it's just an enormous scope. I mean, I had friends in from New York that, that would said, I have, yeah. you know, I have a subscription to Texas Monthly because it's so excellent. I saw that you're in it. I mean, it's not just Texas. Like yeah. it was, it was a great little blast. So you felt like you got a name recognition eyes. boost. Yeah. Once that happened. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Was there any other, was that the main one? Were there any other publications or yeah, the, articles yeah, or anything like that? Yeah, the local publications have been awesome about writing me up. Austin publications. You know, I, uh, because of the ceramic side, you know, food and culinary magazines are nice about um, being interested in what ceramic artists are doing because that's a big new Definitely. thing of like bespoke, you know, dinnerware and all of that yeah. for restaurants and things. So it's not just 
you know, lifestyle magazines and like general magazines, certain, you know, food and culinary people have written me up, but that was, yeah, t- TM. They were, well, when that, when that happens though, and you said you got a lot of recognition <clears throat> is most of the work you do right now kind of in and around San Antonio and maybe some Austin stuff. And especially for the, 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 you know, if you're doing cafe wares or something like that, mm-hmm. or are you kind of all over the United States? I mean, do you get a surge to the point where at that point you're like, I need to hire some people or yeah. did it kind of get to that point? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all the ceramic business. I mean, I have my hubs here, you know, I've worked with a few cafes here because they know of me and I love that, sure. you know, like local let's, let's keep it local. Yeah. But I mean, 90% of the sales I make with really? ceramics are shipped to other states. I have oh, a huge, cool. I mean, tons going to LA, wow. lots going to New York, okay. lots going to, um, a good, you know, good amount to Austin and things like Austin, Houston, Dallas, but San Antonio is not my, my main retail market for the that ceramics at all. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I would I think have thought the just, opposite, but yeah, that's yeah. Cool. The letterpress, the print side is almost all regional. Okay. Like, with text mostly texas i work with people you know technology makes it so easy to work with people and proof stuff digitally and all of that so i work with some people but typically they're going to have a letterpress printer that's closer to them where they want to go look at papers and ink colors and things in person sure so most of that's regional but um yeah the ceramics i'm it's almost fully shipped to other places that's really interesting. And when did you move to your studio? You said you have a one kind of downtownish. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, when did you move to that studio? And do you live in that studio as well? <laughs> no. That's more if of like a. If you saw it, you okay. would laugh because okay. it's truly a garage. It's a beautiful garage. Okay. Uh, I moved into the um, the 506 Street complex over on Sixth and Avenue E, where Dato Architecture just refurbished an old print like warehouse building and have made it this incredible cross pollinizing you know complex of different businesses they have probably 15 or 20 operations there they've made little micro offices in their building but i have a freestanding studio it was yeah a, a kind of a carport type structure and i worked with them and and convinced them i bugged them long enough i um asked if they'd finish it out because I needed a, you know, a bigger studio. I was outgrowing my previous space. It's a big, beautiful windowy. I mean, they put lovely garage doors on the front and it just works perfectly. I can fire and crack those doors open. I can, so I've got ventilation. I can hose the floors down. It's just a fantastic white rectangle. (laughs) So it's exactly (laughs) what you need. Huge window light. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Filled with plants and I just was a happy place for sure. And I'm super grateful for it. So I moved in there April last year. Okay. So recently. I was their first tenant. Yeah. Hey, nice. Yeah. Um, Do you have studio hours? How does that work? Like is it all by appointment only? How does that work? It's by appointment only. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to have studio hours, but it's very difficult when you're counting on something happening within a certain time frame especially with very time sensitive stuff. Like for me, you know, clay dries out. And if you leave it for 15 minutes, sometimes your pieces are ruined yeah. to a certain degree. So you really need to, to focus certain... on So interruptions work. are yeah. tough for me yeah. as much as I want to be available at all times. If somebody breezes in for a quick visit, it may like throw stuff off. Yeah. And so, yeah, if people are around, I mean, I explain that and I may, it's pretty obvious. I mean, I've got my big earphones on and there's a lot like, going on. Mud, yeah. Muddy hands. So people kind of get the vibe that like, oh, you're in the middle of something. But I when production's going, production's sit. going, production's and you need going. to focus on production. I mean, I lock the door and, and there's a sign, you know, it's all windowy. You can see me in there, but 
uh, I mean, I'm super happy, even if I have a day of notice, like just to know the window of time when people are coming. I love having people there. I just kind of need a little, little, uh, plan time. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. What made you not want to do when I think of like the art community in San Antonio, you know, I think Southtown, I think Blue Star Mm -hmm. Arts Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Is there a reason you didn't want to be in that area or you just found this spot and you just thought this, I think this is perfect. Oh, it's a great spot, but studio space is hard to find the other thing is i needed a big studio like i i had outgrown an 800 square foot space before okay and ceramics can have a bigger footprint i mean my kiln is my bigger kiln is you know five foot in diameter okay so there and i have big big work tables and a printing press is a two thousand pound machine like i needed you need to be able to spread out yes well not yeah to have both mediums in one space and to be on top of each other that's true that gets to be a nightmare and just for like cleaning cleanliness and to make sure that there isn't you know you know ceramic dust making something ruining something over here on the print side i mean i'm very very precise and clean you seem like you're pretty fastidious yeah well just to keep it separate because most people wouldn't have those two things in one space think about like a wood shop i mean there just are things in the air yeah there's dust debris and there's debris yeah. and oil from the press and all that stuff so and plus you gotta like store your mm-hmm. stuff you made somewhere yes, you have like shelving absolutely. all that stuff yeah, yeah. i mean, I have a wall of shelving of ready to go pieces i mean all of those things um you know big space for plaster molds for any casting pieces i have and so you know a big industrial sink and That's like cool. a drying rack and stuff i mean it just takes up space so i needed a bigger space um, there are other kind of hard requirements like with wiring, like I need specific industrial wiring for my kilns okay. that aren't usually in just any old building. I also can't be on upper floors unless there's freight elevators because I can't get like printing presses up to places. So that eliminates a lot. So when you look at a space, you're looking at specific things immediately and a lot of right. things we just rule it out. Oh, for sure. You just say, yeah. I can't, I, I can't, can't be it. on wood floors, presses break through wood floors like they're too heavy so there's just a lot of factors that rule most spaces out i man the days i daydreamed about being a painter where it was like you could literally just <laughs> all i need is a little space yeah anywhere That's cool. everything's portable so it's tricky i mean moving studios is a nightmare it's such an effort and but I you did friends it. it's and done. family oh i've done it many times uh, but this is an amazing space and i think you'll be there for I, I the immediate will be happy future, to be there for as long as I can. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so what's on the horizon for you and the company? You're about six, seven years in now. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, you've seen just kind of really healthy, steady growth yeah. on both sides of the business, the yeah. letterpress and the ceramics. Um, just moved into a new studio last yeah. year. Um, are you looking to kind of scale up? I mean, it looks like from everything you, you know we've talked about – it looks like you have enough steady business to where if you wanted to grow it, it is for sure. It's up, it's up to you. Yeah. If you want to do yeah. it. And so, um, are you look, do you like your lifestyle right now? What's, uh, yeah. what is kind of a day in the life? Like, are you just crazy stressed, busy, or is it just kind of like, you know, you keep your work life balance pretty, pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. What's well, going on? this new space has been helpful because I'm surrounded by the, you know, work schedules of a lot of different people, which has helped me, you know, recognize, you know, when people arrive and when people leave and what's normal because I can tend to be very workaholic. And when I, when you're the, when you're the the only one there and it's the sun's down and you think, oh, it's time to go home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I can tend to push it too hard with that. But the question of scaling is, 
oh man, it's the biggest thing I fight in my mind because yeah. there's, a, I don't know, I, there's kind of a narrative self and like, a, what should I be thinking yeah. about this? And then there's the realistic self that I think is more true to who I am. And I've consistently hired people over the last three years, mostly. Okay. And um, it's been very challenging to not only delegate, which I'm not strong at anyway. You like to do everything yourself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> to delegate specific skills and to train somebody, but then also realize that this is a, you know, it's a job market where people need to move or they get at a better offer for, yeah. you know, full time. I've never had full time people. I've had multiple part time people at a time and assistance consistently based on projects and things like that. But to keep people is very challenging and it's honestly kind of heart wrenching when you've uh, spent, you know, six plus months and then you're super comfy delegating to somebody finally and they understand the intricacies of how something works and you can say, this is what we've got going today and not yeah. to worry. And then they, you know, you lose them yeah. to something else, uh, which I totally get. That's who I was in my early twenties. I was like working for five different people and piecing definitely. it together. And, uh as much as I love the idea of being a huge company and providing jobs for people, I also need to be true to the thought that like a lot of times when you're delegating all that stuff, I would look and think, oh man, I wish I was the one doing that. You know, yeah. it's, it can get monotonous and you get burned out, but I still want to be the one doing production yeah. too. And maybe that's alongside other people. And I think there's a medium there where, I guess I just don't see myself in a management position, managing a production team. That's interesting. And I don't, so I don't know. That could change. You're still trying to figure it out. Cause I think a lot of if, people in yeah. your position with kind of the, the popularity you're seeing uh, with, with your company, I mean, the ego might take over and a lot of people might just start ramping up big time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I you're, would, you're yeah. playing, you're, you're, Playing it safe, kind well, of close I to the best. And... I still want to stay closely tied to that feeling of being artist and designer. Yeah. And I think when you get lost in the managerial and the admin, which I do every night Everyone and all does, weekend, yeah. like I, that's I do it both both things. But that's almost this year. I'm coming at it from that lens of what admin things can I offload, and what you know, lower level production things or, you know, what are the, you know, the, the, the fringe things that I can be delegating to people to create more time for me to design and produce new goods. I think that's very important. Right. Like if I don't get lost in, in the making the three, 300th cup. Sure. Instead being able to say, okay, I've got the leeway to, you know, think about 10 new goods that I'm going to release in two months or but whatever. The heart of Guten Co. at its core is the design and the production. Yeah. And uh, that's what keeps it going. Yeah. And if you're just focusing on the numbers and the back end mm -hmm. and the bookkeeping, that's not fun. Yeah. And I don't, I think, yeah, if you had asked me in a, a year ago, I would have said, I have big dreams for so being it's always a huge design always brand. Always changing, always changing. Well, and I think, I don't know if it's not oscillating back and forth. I really, it, after a, last year was a tough year with, yeah, thinking through hiring and scaling and all of that yeah. and watching my role change, I honestly didn't feel as satisfied with as I thought. I didn't feel as freed up by it as I, I imagined. I think that happens a lot to people mm -hmm. too, is that they have a vision in their head mm -hmm. for years down the road 
Um, and then they start to acquire that vision mm-hmm. a little bit and seeing the micro steps that it takes to get there right. and how you're evolving as a person, maybe not mm-hmm. into the person you wanted to be necessarily mm-hmm. when you started it. And I think that's, that's fascinating how you can go back to square one and say, you know what, I want to re-examine this again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's a great middle ground that makes my business function where I can hire assistance as needed and do. And there are people locally that I can call on and there are people you know, friends and family that if it's a non-skilled thing, like a huge, crazy big volume order and I need help fulfilling, you know, several hundred boxes. Right. I mean, so there's still people you can reach out to within the community right. and, um, that pop in and help yeah. for a month or I think that's cool. for however long. Yeah. Project based kind of that smooth the way. And then it goes back to kind of a more normal thing. But yeah. we briefly talked about like work-life balance when you're not doing Gutenko stuff. Yeah. Um, what do you like to do around San Antonio? Are you uh, kind of a homebody? Are you a, what do you I do, what do like you do? home. I mean, yeah, I work long hours. I usually will pop in back into the studio over the weekend, but I, yeah, this year I've gotten much better okay. about not being so workaholic. Um, I have my great dog, Hugo. So a lot of my free time, I, I, if it's nice out, I would love to I'm like a walk obsessed person. I'm a pretty, I can get wound up and anxious and stressed and walk is just like walks and yoga and stuff like that is kind of the only thing that just kind of strains that out of my system. You do yoga too? mm -hmm. That's cool. So I do a lot of that and just physical, like my work is very physical. So by the end of a long day, my back hurts and my legs hurt and you know, I'm up and around or like heaving heavy things Definitely. or like over a wheel yeah pushing and pull like it, you said you know, it's a physically demanding a physically job that a lot of people job. might not realize yeah well, yeah so you gotta kind of unwind that out of your body so cool. i like to do that um you know, i love to pop in and have a good coffee somewhere and sure. just chill out with friends i'm because i work mostly by myself i'm ready to talk to people i was about to say yeah you're ready to you, <laughs> by, by yourself for 10 time, hours I'm, you might want to I'm ready to for a fill my tank which is an interesting thing because most yeah other people are like no i've been doing this all all week at my job that's cool we've been taking our dog to uh phil hardberger park nice you ever yeah. go out there it's like one of the better once. walks yes. in my opinion yes for, if you like kind of like the more a little country wild. vibe yes. it's kind of a little quieter yeah, a little freer yeah it's cool so if someone is you know they're entering art school or they have this mm-hmm. creative passion they want to turn into a business maybe they're about to graduate college and they're trying to figure out what they want to do do you have a piece of advice you'd give someone uh that wants to start their own, you know, turn their passion yeah. into a reality. I would get honest about if you're if your product, if you're seeing it offered already. Okay. Then be honest with yourself about like, okay, how can I amend this? Like figure out where you can kind of not having a monopoly in a bad way, but like figure out that your product you'll have more fun producing and selling something that you're confident people are gonna want from you. Right. Figure out what your angle Interesting. is. Okay. And make sure that's clear to people. Like, this is the unique way that I'm presenting this thing or service or idea or whatever mm-hmm. it is. The main practical thing, and man, I should be better about, I should be more regimented about like putting this in the schedule for myself, but reaching out to thought leaders and and asking for a little bit of their time, it feels a little bit forced on the front end. Sure. But every time I've done that, and I mean, I just have a little script that I've sent via email just like... I admire the work that you're doing. I'd love to bring you a coffee. Could you spare 30 minutes on this day, this day, or this day? Like give them some options. Yeah. And it's very clear for people. I've never gotten a no from somebody. Really? That's how I got my studio. I asked for time with 
this fantastic architect that owns the complex. I, you know, some of the best, you know, wins or connections have been, you know, some of the best wholesale accounts, some of the best connections through, you know, like Hotel Emma or Bunkhouse or whatever has come from reaching out to thought leaders and just asking for time. Because even if you could think of a few questions or just ask them, tell me about your work. What, what projects have you going, have, have, uh, are you working on right now? Just to get them talking, all yeah. you're doing is making yourself known to them. Yeah. And then they, that goes in a file in the back of their brain. That was a 30-minute thing for them, some random Tuesday. But more times than not, it comes back around. Yeah. And you hear from them or you hear from somebody that they told about you. Interesting. And that has led to so many great connections. If you have a physical product or you know a body of artwork or something like that, Ask for their critique too. I mean, people in professional, you know, status jobs, they have, you know, their their opinions are are worthwhile. Yeah. So, you know, take their critique and and make your product better and make your art better. And I think just submitting to that, like, just their opinions is super helpful. I mean, people, yeah, I think you should probably huge. have to pay. It's kind of like skirting around having to pay for, you know whatever critique or or spend the time putting product out that may not be its very best and here you're getting it just in a little 30 minute window that has been super helpful kind of in a nebulous way like you don't really know what's going to come of it it's kind of a leap of faith like you're just kind of not tangible necessarily right you don't know how it's going to return to you but in my in my case and especially in san antonio i can't really speak for other professional communities Uh but i can vouch for here it is tight and depending on i mean i'm really i'm thinking of like tech industry is still pretty tight arts industry is still pretty tight like educators are all pretty tight around here so i mean word gets out about you Interesting. if people are excited and hearing hearing about a new thing that you have going so i would i would do that well and especially like you were talking about with the way you work you might be alone for eight hours mm-hmm. a day and so getting to reach out and connect with yes. other people in the community is yeah. is huge yeah. uh, and making time to do that mm-hmm. uh, i think that's a great piece of advice yeah. um so give me the plug give me the deets if somebody wants to get <laughs> uh a hold of you uh yeah. to maybe do a commission piece for yeah. you know, the letterpress or if they you know can they reach you on the website we talked yep. about instagram um mm-hmm. Do you have general like, you know, turnaround times and things like yeah. that? What, um, yeah, what info yeah. can you give me? Instagram is at Gutenco, G-U-T-E-N-C-O. So you can kind of see just the the first blush of what I do in both mediums. It's all mixed together there. So you see it all at once. And then websites, Gutenco.com. So that's got a little more detail on both the processes. It's got all of the retail ceramics listed on there that are available and then turnaround times, um, yeah, if you're buying online, that means it's ready and ready to ship. Sweet. Wholesale is longer. If you're a shop, that's more like a three to four week turnaround because those are larger orders and, you know, higher minimums than a retail order would be. And then letterpress wise, there's forms on there if you want to tell me about the project you're working on. And my email is all listed on there. So reach Sweet. out if you want. And we never mentioned this, but Guten is German for good. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good cool. company in German. Well, I appreciate you coming out to the yeah. Geekdom Studio yeah, and chatting nice with to me. Talk and, to you. Yeah, talk soon. All right.
Thanks for listening to Building Something Out of Nothing. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, you can email me at ed, that's ed6238, at gmail.com. As always, you can visit either one of our locations seven days a week. Our roastery and first location is over at Warehouse 5 at 1333 Buena Vista Street. If you'd like to serve Shotgun House coffee roasters in your restaurant, cafe, or office, shoot us a quick email at orders at shotgunhouseroasters.com or contact me anytime at 254-913-9031. Our intro music is provided by the Delicate Boys from Austin, Texas. You can find this song and their entire album on Spotify. Thanks.